Hi, and welcome to the Climate Minute, your source for insight and perspective on global warming news. My name is Ted McIntyre. This show is for mid-December 2023. So today we're going to begin with some clips from a discussion I had with Steve Sherlock over Franklin Matters, and it's related to the UN meeting currently underway in Dubai called the Conference of Conference of the Party, or COP28, 28th Conference of the Parties. Uh, and uh, I'll come back after the clip, because the clip was recorded at the beginning of the conference. The conference is now approaching its final days. I'll come back afterwards with a few comments on what actually has transpired in the status of the COP right now. That's one. So we That's said there one. Were, there were two, right? There so were two. We, so we, what's the, number two? Number two is this COP thing, the COP, the Conference of the Parties. Okay. Who's the parties? That's all Good of question. us, right? <laughs> well, so the Conference of the Party, so this very quickly, this dates back to 1991. George H.W. Bush flew to Rio to sign the Rio Agreement. We were all, and he famously said, um, Oh, I can't even remember what he famously said, so I'll put that aside. <laughs> I mean, B- Bush was on board in 1991, right? What fell out of that 1991 agreement in Brazil was that there would be a yearly meeting of the parties that signed up to the Brazil thing, oh, right? So that's There's the parties. There's a conference of the parties. The parties are typically are the nations that belong to the United Nations, right? All of the all of the yeah, all all the parties to this international treaty were countries. Every year there would be a conference. Right? Mm-hmm. This chunked yeah. along, chunked along, chunked along, and so the conference of the parties is the mechanism by which the UN is trying to process climate stuff. There's a bunch of words you probably have heard, but don't realize were COP events. Mm-hmm. So it's the Kyoto Accords. Okay, right? that, that was-, was a conference of the parties in Kyoto where the Japanese hammered out this agreement. Right. So the Kyoto Accords were, and of course the United States famously walked away from it. You know, shed your tears later, right? They walked, we walked away from it, but the Kyoto Accords were there. Then in 2009, there was a big, big deal in Copenhagen, mm-hmm. right? So there was the Copenhagen meetings in 2009, which was, turns out to be a bust, right? That was supposed to be the big time everyone got together and made a decision and it fell apart. Yeah. Uh, at the time, there were complaints that Obama had not flown over, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Lots, and, and, and of course, at these international conferences of the parties, the COPs, there's lots and lots of corporate people floating around the edges. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of fossil fuel companies floating around these things. And in fact, you can argue have taken over the COP process, but put that aside. The next COP you didn't realize was a COP is the Paris Accords. So oh, yes, the, the, the famous Par- Paris the Accords. The famous Paris Accords, which are the basis for negotiations today, were from a conference of the party in December of 2015, where Everyone signed and people were in tears and it was – and the that conference of the party, the Paris Agreement, if you're not really sure what the Paris Agreement means, it was an agreement among the nations of the world that instead of taking uh, top-down command as to how much they must – each country must reduce their carbon emissions, the genius of the Paris Accord was to say that each country will volunteer what they can do. Mm-hmm. And at bottom least we'll up. get going. Bottom up. Bottom up, yeah. right? And the so expectation – 
it took five years from 2010 to or 2009 to 2015. To well, there were intermediate conferences. Intermediates, but in order to get to the final it, agreement, in order to get back, it took from, time it took to get time. there. Yeah, and so now, and so what what you'll hear is is in these COPs is what's called stock taking, and out of the Paris Accords, they said that every five years, all the parties in the conference of the party are going to come back with and say how much good stuff they did by reducing their carbon, how much more they're going to do next time, mm-hmm. right? Right. And so that has been part of the, the 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 process. Okay, now fast forward to this year. So this is the twenty eighth conference of the parties. It's being held in a little place called Dubai. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've heard of it, uh, but Dubai is in the United Arab Emirates. Of course, it's a petro state, right? Right. So if that doesn't sort of Make you do a rut row, raise some eyeballs, raise some eyebrows. How come? How come those guys are running the show? Because each country that hosts the COP is basically in charge of negotiating the outcome. That's their responsibility. Yeah. Um, and there have been complaints that that the people running the conference of the parties this year are actually trying to sell. Abu Dhabi oil investments to the to different nations that come, which is just completely anathema to the whole thing. I mean, there's various sort of human rights complaints because last year the COP was in Egypt, oh, right? right? Which was which is anyway. So the conference of the party is going to begin this Thursday. So we're recording now on the 27th, Thursday the 30th. The COP begins. You probably see it on the news as a little blip, like a two-second thing that say, "Oh, Biden didn't go to the, did mm-hmm. not go to the conference of the parties," or blah blah blah. But the big issue on the table at the conference of the parties now, this year, is something called um, a negotiation about loss and damage. Okay. Okay. So, what does loss and damage mean? Loss and damage is defined. It's used by the United Nations to describe harms inflicted by climate change that go beyond what people can adapt to. So a major event. Well, suppose you live in Tuvatu, Mm all right? Something that you can't get paid for is when your island is under, when your whole country is underwater, right? right? So there's loss and damage there. There's a whole cultural, right? The loss and damage can be cultural. Mm-hmm. It can be in how your country makes its living, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's the impact on typically countries in the global south, however you want to define that, mm-hmm. that haven't really done anything to cause climate change, but they are the ones bearing the brunt and the damage. The the island nations are the main example, are a great example, right? If your home disappears, if if Franklin was under 10 feet of water, we would consider that a loss and, and, and damage, right? Mm-hmm. And so the question is, who's going to pay for this? How do we... And uh, the idea is not so much to make recompense, but to somehow provide funding to these countries that have no other funding to begin to build, to to do the adaptation, which we said is not the same as mitigation, True. but to put in, um, you know, renewable energy and to start strengthening their social infrastructure to handle what's coming. Again, we say that, you know, someplace, I don't know, you go to Bangladesh and tornado, I mean, a hurricane comes through and then a disease comes through and there's no health care. Everything is cascading on itself. Mm-hmm. You have to build up the society. Sure. Right. And so the, the what the argument now is 
at this conference of the parties is who's going to pay. Now, if you rewind 10 years or so, all the rich countries like the United States promised that we would put in $100 billion by the year 2020. Mm-hmm. Of course, it never quite happened, <laughs> right? And so uh, the debate is about loss and damage, which is about some way of not so much paying people to be quiet or guilt money or anything, but it's trying to provide ways for countries that are at risk of bad things to improve their lot now. And one of the interesting, then you get, it gets deeper and deeper, is that one of the, one of the reasons that many countries in the global south do not have any money to pay for adaptation, to build a seawall or to mm-hmm. do anything, right? right? One of the reasons they don't have any money is because they took out loans in the past from the World Bank and they owe all of their money in interest to the World Bank. Okay. Right? And so one idea would be that the World Bank simply forgives loans to some of these places so that that money that was going to the World Bank as an interest payment could stay in the country and do some of it. Now, that's that's kind of a blunt tool, but there's also ideas that a, a country could be under this loss and damage idea, you could get paid money for preserving your rainforests, mm, right? Now, that right. gets tricky, right? It's very difficult How to do. How do you do. preserve that? How do you yeah. preserve it? How do you account for it? How do you put... But these are the tough issues that are coming up in the COP28 right now being discussed in Abu Dhabi, along with a few oil deals on the side. Uh, but put that mm-hmm. aside. We hope that there's good uh, discussion there. Well, it sounds like this goes to the heart of kind of the equitable and justice idea of this. Clearly, there are some richer countries in the world of which, oh, by the way, we're one of them. We can't deny that. And there are some, frankly, poorer countries that are in the world. And if we all have to deal with climate and some can deal with it better than others, behooves those that have to help those who don't have, and how do you negotiate that? How do you make that somewhat equitable, even in the exchange? Because, uh, yeah, it's that's going to be a rather interesting discussion. And it's one that's gone on for a long time, because even back in the 1990s, there was discussion about historical responsibility. Hmm. So the United States is extremely rich compared to most of the rest of the world, has also emitted most of the carbon that's in the atmosphere, dear listener. I mean, unfortunately, you, there's a right. double whammy on us, right? right? China's catching up. Absolutely, China's emitting a lot. China is, in fact, may it may be emitting more than we are, not on a per capita basis, but total, blah, 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 blah. But the fact is that Europe and the United States have a long historical legacy of taking advantage of fossil fuels, became rich based on it. And it is galling, I think, to many of the less developed countries, which is a weird term, but I mean, many other countries, that we should not turn around and say, oh, yeah, you have to tighten your belt, right? Mm. And not develop as quickly. You can't take care of your people. You can't build that coal plant because that would be global warming, right? And so you can see where the negotiations get very contentious uh, and people's lives, their countries, their way of life is at stake. Sure. So there you go. That's loss and damage at the conference of the parties, it'll probably get underplayed in most of the TV media, right? Because it's not sexy and glamorous, mm-hmm. right? But when you see that stray headline, dear listener, <laughs> take a look and maybe some of those buzzwords will be in it. Yeah. And it sounds like given the discussion has been on for so long, there may not be an agreement this time around either since we're what, 
for three years late in terms of making the prior commitment. <laughs> so I read an article that said there was there was an agreement in principle between the different countries, which was taking on before the conference started. Right. By November fourth of this of last month, well, this month, this uh, month, yeah, this November fourth, they came to an agreement that they might be able to smooth everything over and get something through. But there's a lot of moving parts in that mm -hmm. compromise. And you know, for sure and certain, the, the United States won't have signed up to make any financial commitments. They'll be like, the parties will do their best and, you know, we'll promise to think good thoughts and mm -hmm. you know, hope for the best and blah, blah, blah. But there'll be, there may be some kind of agreement. Whether or not it has the teeth that are required to do the right things is less clear. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, that's the suspense. That's what right. we're watching. Yeah. So that was the status back in late November before the conference started. What has transpired since until mid-December? Well, on the first day of the conference, the organizers were able to announce that there was an agreement on loss and damage that satisfied everyone. And the important thing here is that all these agreements at the at the cops have to be unanimous, which is a critique that's valid because unanimous agreements are hard to get to. There's always some outlier. <clears throat> anyway, there was an agreement on loss and damage. The continuing question is how that loss and damage agreement will be um, enforced, how much money will actually be put into it. I don't have the details of exactly what the loss and damage agreement included, uh, but there was some kind of agreement. As the conference progressed with the stock-taking discussion about what's coming next, one of the big issues that arose was whether or not the conference of the parties would make an agreement and a commitment to phase out the use of fossil fuels, right? That means no more oil and gas, right? By some date, probably before 2050. Of course, that's a big deal, right? Because, as we mentioned, there's a lot of petro states involved in the conference of the parties. They all have to agree, right? And all the fossil fuel companies are floating around the periphery, uh, that don't want their business model ruined. I mean, phasing out fossil fuels would essentially mean ending the use of fossil fuels. So what parts of the discussion came up that the pushback from the oil industry and the, and the petrostates was to say, okay, we will phase out what the, what the oil and petrostates wanted was to say, oh, no, 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 we should not phase out fossil fuels. We should phase out emissions. That is to say, the CO2 that's produced from burning the carbon dioxide uh, would be, um, is the real problem, not the fossil fuels in and of themselves. We need to cut the emissions. And how would you do that? Well, you would have technology to do carbon capture, uh, carbon capture at the site, which is essentially a pipe dream. Right, the amount of carbon capture that uh, you can in, imagine happening in over the next decade or so is quite small. We can come back to that, but the fossil fuel people said, "Oh, let's we'll sign up to ending 
what are called unabated emissions. That is to say, the use of fossil fuels that allow, that does not have carbon capture. They would restrict that. They would say, okay, in the future, all use of fossil fuels will have a carbon capture technology to capture the exhaust from burning the burning the fossil fuels, and life is good. Right? Scientists and everyone else at the conference says that's a bunch of malarkey, to quote Joe Biden, that you can't reasonably imagine this technology is going to work that way. And furthermore, the carbon capture technology needs to be put to work to capture the carbon dioxide that's already up there, not to prevent emissions from new burning of fossil fuels. Anyway, that debate raged on for a while. Bill McKibben wrote a great article about, um, you know, the magic word of uh, unabated because it's like a get-out-of-jail-free card for the uh, fossil fuel. Again, just to restate it, fossil fuel people say that they would phase out emissions while retaining the use of fossil fuels in places that had carbon capture technology, which is a mouthful, right? Um, that went on for a while. Most recently, and at the end of the conference, the text of the agreement that is that everyone needs to sign up to basically doesn't even mention phase out of fossil fuels. So the petro states and the oil companies have succeeded in getting language into the final agreement that everyone needs to sign up to that doesn't even mention the idea of phasing out the use of fossil fuels. And so there's big pushback. And the question is going to come, I think, we'll see what happens, is whether or not they can find watered-down language that everyone can agree to. And, of course, the watered-down language is watered-down language, right? Or if some of the countries refuse to sign on to the agreement, which would then have the Conference of the parties end in failure because no, they couldn't agree. They couldn't get a unanimous, unanimous agreement about that. And then the fallout from such a, such a fact that they couldn't reach agreement would be, is the COP process broken? Right. So there's a lot still going on in the world of the COP, um, 28. Uh, the whole question of carbon capture carbon dioxide uh, capture is an enormous one. We don't have time to go into it here. But the short answer is that the carbon dioxide capture, sometimes called CDR, um, carbon dioxide reduction, is an idea that somehow you will have a technology that sucks carbon dioxide out of the air or out of the exhaust of from the factories and the cars and everything else. And that's very difficult to imagine. It's in its infancy now. And scaling up such an industry to the gigatons of carbon that would have to be pulled out of the air every year doesn't seem feasible and not something you want to bet the future of the planet on. Anyway, that's the news from COP28. We'll see what happens next. Uh, Take care. We'll talk to you all again soon. Bye-bye.
Very cool. 